On some days, the trolley station is the conduit through which passengers travel to reach their ultimate destination. But on other days, Nutmeg Junction is the destination itself and the prism through which we experience a slice of life in a rich and vibrant community. It is in the latter context that we explore two extraordinary tales of serendipity in history and meet a fascinating individual in the world of arts and culture in today's episode of Nutmeg Junction. Oh, this is a lovely little place, isn't it? Nonahanna's Junction Cafe? It certainly is. I understand they have music at night and for special occasions. See the stage? Yeah, and it looks like Don Lowe is playing tonight. Oh, where do you see that? The chalkboard over there, see? Oh, yeah. Cool, cool. Hi, girls. Sit where you like. I'll be right with you. Okay. Where do you want to sit, Ava? Hmm. Want to sit outside or inside? Well, normally I'd say outside, but if we're going to see Don Lowe perform, shouldn't we be inside? Oh, you always get too cold when we sit inside, Evelyn. Oh, that's because they always crank up the AC, but it's not too bad here. Booth by the window, then? Booth by the window. <laughs> and that way, your friend Nancy can see us when she gets here. Do you know Nancy? I will after tonight. She's the theater reviewer, right? That's right. Oh, nice view. You can look over the tracks to see that theater over there. Theater? What theater? Oh, yes. Gosh, I must have been to Nutmeg Junction hundreds of times, but I've never even noticed that place before. It looks like it's still in business. Barely. Maybe Nancy will know something about the place? Oh, that's the Nebula Theater. Oh, no wonder. Oh, maybe they're the little theater that could? The Nebula? I think more like the little theater that shouldn't. How do you mean? I once heard they put on a production of Waiting for Godot, and their Godot showed up in the first act. Ha! Oh, that's not true, is it? They once built a complicated, intricately detailed set for their production of Our Town. We'll have to ask Nancy about them. But that could explain why they don't seem to be doing too well. Maybe they need a good publicist. Not sure. That's their problem. I doubt even Ginny Wiles could get those folks out of the red. Who's Ginny Wiles? Virginia Wiles? The legendary 19th century publicist before there was such a thing as publicists? I thought she was a fictional character. Oh, she might be, but her stories are legendary. I heard about her on Serendip History. Serendip History? Oh, is that the radio program that talks about inspirational moments in history? Oh, they always have that disclaimer that some or all of the stories may or may not be true. They're good stories, though, and the ones with Ginny Wiles are some of the best ones. Really? Tell me one. Mm-hmm. 
evening. Welcome to Serendip History. I'm Alice Dare Crook. There are times throughout the centuries when unique individuals come together and achieve extraordinary moments of inspiration. For instance, in 1841, when Ralph Waldo Emerson invited Henry David Thoreau to his property in Concord so Henry could visit Walden Pond and just chillax. And there was the time when Andy Warhol visited Lou Reed's apartment, and all he had in the pantry was a banana and a couple of cans of soup. Now, in our first story, an important figure in the world of literature meets with her publisher's editor's assistant to discuss a book proposal in today's Moment of Serendip History. It is 1870, March. Celebrated author Louisa May Alcott has achieved phenomenal success with Little Women and Good Wives, which was part two of the Little Women's story. Fans of her work flock to her home in Concord, Massachusetts, daily in search of an autograph and personal interaction. Come with us now as another visitor knocks on her door in this journey to discovery with our presentation of Little Women, Little Help. Who is it? I'm here to speak with Louisa May Alcott. Oh, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry. Miss Louisa is not in. Really? Are you supposed to be the help? As helpful as I can be, madam. Uh, then maybe you can help me, because I was sent by the Roberts brothers. Thomas Niles specifically gave me Louisa's photograph, and that image looks remarkably like you. See? So are you the unlucky twin sister in a domestic servitude? I'm sorry for the deception. You see, so many strangers come calling, sometimes a hundred visitors a day. I find it can be nearly impossible to work. Yes, I'm Louisa. Nothing so disastrous for those seeking fame than to actually achieve it, am I right? Uh, Must be difficult. Authors like Sarah Chandler would love to have your problems. I'm sorry, that name is unfamiliar to me. That's my point, hon. Uh, I'm here on business. Uh, Should we discuss it at the door, or...? I do apologize. Please, come in, miss. Virginia Wiles. Call me Jenny. We can sit in Father's study, if that's to your liking. How is Bronson, the old thing? Father is unexpectedly out at the moment. He's a sweetheart. A joy to converse with, really. Not so much to read, though. If he could write half as well as he talks, we'd be asking him for a sequel, but his work... Tablets. Is that what it was called? Something about his work. I just looked at the title and stopped reading. You said you're from Roberts Brothers. They're out of Boston, correct? You're not kidding, poor dears. The mistake of a civilization, can you believe it? I'm sure, but, I mean, you don't sound particularly Bostonian. Thank you, you're so kind. I'm from New York, dear. I'm the one they contact when you get serious about making money. So what is it that I can do for you, Miss Wiles? Ginny, please. Uh, I'm here. Because Little Women is a product like no other. Every household wants to hear of the tales of the March family. Product? 
A that- novel, you mean? Ginny, I'm gratified by its reception, of course. Niles told me he had to do some convincing in order for you to write Little Women in the first place. Was he right? I'm willing to bet that's how he got saddled with tablets, but he won't tell me for sure. There was a wide range of topics discussed before I settled in to write the work. Then let me tell you, we have a number of ideas you're going to love. We need to write a sequel. And by we, I mean you. But we'll all profit together, okay? I wrote a second story about the marches called Good Wives. Yeah, yeah, uh, that was smart. But let's uh, talk branding. When you have a hit like Little Women, you write another story with those characters. You need to call it Little Women 2. Readers need to recognize the title. Really? I had no idea. I would have thought they would have recognized the author's name. You think that, huh? Tell me, what was the book Charlotte Bronte wrote? Oh, Jane Eyre, of course. Yeah, what was the next one she wrote? Oh, well, I suppose... Yeah. What was anything else she's written? Am I right? But now, if she had written Jane Eyre 2, The Quickening, people would have remembered it and bought it. What does The Quickening mean? It probably is a baking term, like adding yeast to dough or something, but Louisa, we need to focus on you. You wrote Little Women... Readers love Little Women, so the next book should be... What do you suggest, Ginny? Littler Women. They get even littler this time around. That's not really what the little in Little Women implies. Littler Women. Honey, I shrunk the women. Something like that. Professor Frederick builds a shrinking device in his study, and oops, no one step on Meg. It's genius. Perhaps that's an idea best enjoyed by its absence. It's part of a trilogy. Little women, littler women, and littlest women. It's rule of three, hon. We can't go wrong. What's the rule of three? It's the rule that says if you write three books, you make more money than writing one. I see. Very enlightening. Just ideas. You're the writer. I'm the ideas person. But any idea is going to work for a sequel, even a bad idea. In the marketplace, we're just looking for the least bad idea, and I have a million of those. A million least bad ideas. Try this one. Little Women 2, Wrath of Marmy. If revenge is a dish best served cold, Marmy can bring some cold dishes from the kitchen. That's not really in keeping with Marmy's character in Little Women. Have you actually read the book? It's time to read. Look, let's talk globally here. Maybe Little Women is just episode four of a nine-part saga. You could go early and focus on prequels. That's not really what I had in mind. Everyone loves prequels. Too bad. But hey, you're the writer. Yes. Speaking of which, I should get back to the writing. Maybe you could write something about war and peace or crime and punishment. We just need to come up with a good title. You've certainly given me a lot to think about, Ginny. I've got a million of them. But we don't have to go through that entire number right now, do we, Ginny? The important thing is is that you agree to write another story, but you have to let readers know it's a sequel to Little Women. What's your least bad idea, Ginny? Hmm, least bad idea. How about Little Men? Little Men? Little Men, you know, it's a sequel to Little Women. Write what you like and call it Little Men. And if I write that, will you take your leave? You have my word. Then you have mine. Little Men it is. Perfect. It's going to be a bestseller because if there's one thing I know, it's that men love to be called little. That was a fun story. I would have liked to have known a Ginny Wiles. Here, girls. Here's your drinks. Are you still waiting for somebody? Yes, we are. Thank you. No problem. I'll send her right over when she gets here. Thank you. Thank you. So, 
tell me some more. Do you know any more Serendip history stories? Oh, I sure do. Harriet Beecher Stowe's novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, was a literary phenomenon. Reaching millions of readers, Stowe became one of the most influential writers of the 19th century. In her later years, Stowe lived on Farmington Avenue in Hartford, Connecticut, and in 1874, a young, former steamboat pilot, newspaper man, and now aspiring novelist, Samuel Clemens, moved next door. On an unseasonably warm day, while Mrs. Stowe traversed her grounds, she was approached by her new neighbor. Come with us now on our journey to discovery, as we present a fateful meeting between the two writers in a tale we will call Never the Twain Shall Meet. Miss Stowe, might I trouble you for an ear? You have two, so I hope you can part with one. Mr. Clemens, you surprised me. Forgive me, but I spied you from my window when inspiration knocked, and it's such an unpredictable visitor that I always feel compelled to answer it. Unpredictable visitors are not in short supply as of late, Mr. Clemens. Unpredictable, but not unwelcome. Nothing makes me happier than to hear that, Miss Stowe. To what do I owe the pleasure of your company? I seek your counsel. Your words are of the highest value. You flatter me, Mr. Clemens. The happy phrasing of a compliment is one of the rarest of human gifts, and the happy delivery of it, another. Is there something specific you wish to discuss, Mr. Clemens? I would like to learn more of your writing of Uncle Tom's Cabin. I did not write it. God wrote it. I merely did his dictation. I would love to take his dictation, but I fear that he and I may not have entirely similar interests for the tales I wish to tell. Innocence Abroad made its mark. Surely there is another book in you. It's not because the book is not there and worth being written. It is only because the right form of the story does not present itself yet. Do you feel as if there is only one right form for a story, and if you fail to find it, then the story will not tell itself? Some books simply refuse to be written. They stand their ground year after year and will not be persuaded. So it is not for lack of ideas, but a lack of form. Anyone can have ideas. The difficulty is in expressing them without squandering a choir of paper when a paragraph would have been sufficient. I ran out of paper when writing Uncle Tom's Cabin. I finally put pen to the brown grocery paper to get the words out. Mm, dictation came from a loquacious speaker that day. True. How did you focus on the idea for that particular novel? Isabella, my sister-in-law, wrote me. Isabella is married to my brother Edward, you know, from Boston. She wrote and said in effect that if she had the power of my words, that she would write something that would make the entire world feel what an accursed thing slavery is. And from there the dictation came? Almost immediately. Interesting, interesting. Unfortunately, I have no family in Boston. 
But you do have family, Mr. Clemens. Where are you from originally? Hannibal, Missouri. Hannibal, Missouri. Is it as fascinating as its favorite native son? Favorite son? (laughs) The best that can be said is that it had me for a citizen, but I was too young to really hurt it. I'm sure it benefited from your contributions, Mr. Clemens. I made one significant contribution. Before I was born, Hannibal had a population of 100 people. And when I was born, I increased the population by 1%. I doubt that many people can say they did as much for their communities. I suppose that may be a start in more ways than one. So you recommend writing about Hannibal, you say? Do you have other inspiration? I had considered working on an idea about a prince and a pauper. What gave rise to that topic? I've had the benefit, or the curse, to have lived the opulence of one and the austerity of the other. I may get to it one day, but now that you mention Hannibal, it was an interesting place for a boy to have adventures in. Perhaps there's a book in it after all. Not unlike my Uncle Tom's Cabin. And if I do write the thing, perhaps I'll call the hero Tom. Should you wish. But if you'll excuse me, Mr. Clemens, I tire, and I must return to the house. Of course, Miss Stowe. I thank you for your counsel. Never give up writing, Mr. Clemens, for that is the time and place for the tide to turn. But that was not the end of the story. Shortly before the sun set... Mrs. Stowe received a knock at her door. There before her was George, who was Samuel Clemens' servant. In his hands was the famed white suit with which Mr. Clemens was so often associated, and a note. Miss Stowe, my dear wife Livy has informed me that society required me to be properly attired before engaging in your esteemed company. I regret that I imposed myself in but a simple shirt and pants. Please find my best suit enclosed. As you are a writer, you may now imagine me wearing that suit so that I may satisfy the rules of decorum that Hartford requires. Yours faithfully, Samuel Clemens. We'll be back to Nutmeg Junction in just a moment. Coming up next week on Nutmeg Junction, we present the return of our pulp novel hero, The Grey Whisperer, a master of disguise, fighter of crime, and a wonderful knitter. We will present The Grey Whisperer Returns, Attack of the Vampire Sloth, Part 1. So thank you for listening and enjoying Nutmeg Junction, and now... Back to the program.
Meanwhile, back at Nona Hannah's cafe. Right this way. Nancy, there you are. Hello, Ava. Hi, are you the theater reviewer? I am. Hello. Hi, I'm Evelyn. I have so many questions to ask you about your job reviewing plays. Go right ahead. It sounds so interesting. I want to know how did you get started doing it? It all started with a little theater in my hometown of Naugatuck, Connecticut. It opened. It's called the Phoenix Stage Company. And when it opened, I went on a whim to the ribbon cutting ceremony, and I decided that I was going to do everything in my power to keep this little theater open, on the off chance that someday I might be able to audition for a role in one of their productions. Wow! But but what were you? You weren't a writer then before. I really wasn't. No. Well, what were you doing? I'm a teacher by day. Oh wow! Oh. What grade do you teach? I teach first grade. This is my thirty first year. Wow! That's a long time. It has been. Now, were you always interested in theater? I was. I actually appeared in my first production at the elementary school where I taught. It was a production of Schoolhouse Rock Live Junior,、um, and it was great fun. I was a nervous teacher on the first day of school, and I worked with about sixty third and fourth graders, and I had the time of my life. And did you ever get a part with the Phoenix Theater? I actually did. During their t- second season, they did a production of The Last Supper, a musical reenactment, and I auditioned for a part、uh, as a pit singer. But they gave me the part of Martha, the mouthy sister of Martha and Mary in the Bible, and Sharon Wilcox was the director, and she put me up on stage, and it was a great, great time. That sounds like fun. I wonder about your reviews. Have you ever had a production that you reviewed that's really stuck in your memory more than others? I do. One of my favorite reviews that I wrote was of a production that was done by the Twelve Fourteen Foundation. Which is a nonprofit that works with the survivors of the Sandy Hook shooting.、Mm. They work with the kids over the summer, and they do a high-quality production every summer. And their second season, they did an original show of the Shakespeare play *Midsummer Night's Dream*. It was called *A Rocking Midsummer Night's Dream*, and that was one of my very favorite shows to review. They had three performers come from Broadway to appear with the children.、Oh. They had two casts, and they actually took the kids into the recording studio, both casts, and made a CD of an original cast recording. And I play it in my car all the time.、Oh, that's sweet. Can that's... I get you gals another thing, something else to drink? Oh, yes, please. I'd like some seltzer water. Thank you. I think I'll have the same. Thanks. So. Where could I see a review of a play that you've written? All of my reviews are posted on the Naugatuckpatch dot com because that's my home patch, and as well, I also try to post my reviews on the patch site that's closest to the venue where the production happened. And are there other theaters besides Phoenix that you would? Review around Absolutely, here. Absolutely, yes. After I started reviewing for the Phoenix, I sort of branched out. I started going to other productions and reviewing them, sending them to the production teams, and they added me to their release for press releases. So I get all of their information, and、um, I go to pretty much every venue in Connecticut that I can get an into. So you're all over Connecticut. I really am. Yeah. Wow. Have you ever had a particularly memorable? Response to one of your reviews. I actually remember the first time that I was quoted in in 
um, the press for a particular theater. It was the Warner Theater. Uh, they had done a production of Gypsy, and they took my adjectives and placed them into their print advertising. I went running around and showed everyone who would stand still long enough that those were my words. Um, and I also was really pleased to see that Theater Works New Milford has a binder in their lobby where they print out all the reviews and that all of my reviews are included in that binder. Wow, that must be really empowering for you. It is. Do you ever tell your first graders about how writing has affected people? I do. I do. I like to show them some of the things that I've posted and um, and sh- show them that to be a good writer, they might be able to share their writing with others in the future. So we can find your reviews on patch.com. Is there any other way to find things that you've done? There actually is. A couple of years ago, I was invited to become a member of the Connecticut Critics Circle, and they have a website, and they have an entire page um, that is dedicated to reviews. And so there's links to my reviews there as well for the equity productions. Now, what's the difference between equity and non-equity? Equity productions feature actors that have their equity card, that have appeared in enough productions that they've qualified to be part of of the union for, for actors. And a community theater would have mostly people that do not have their equity card but want to get experience acting in productions. So you're in the big leagues. I guess I am, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's amazing. Thanks for telling all that to us, Nancy. My pleasure. Are you gals ready to order? Oh, I guess we should order. Did you get a chance, Nancy, to see the menu yet? Sorry, no, not yet. Could we have a few more minutes? No problem. I'll be back in a bit. Wow, great service here. Nona Hannah's Junction Cafe? They're known for it. Another day, another meeting, another slice of life in a vibrant community explored here in Nutmeg Junction. This has been episode 12 of Nutmeg Junction, which was created, written, and produced by J. Timothy Quirk, copyright 2018. 
This program was rehearsed and recorded at WAPJ Torrington Community Radio and was directed by Conrad Sinkowitz. Our theme music, Nutmeg Junction, and additional score, including Mr. JT and Sarah Ndip History, was created and performed by Robert C. Fullerton and used with permission. Copyright 2018. All other music and sound effects courtesy of YouTube royalty-free music and otherwise found in the field by J. Timothy Quirk. Our VIP guest was Nancy Sasso Janis of the Connecticut Critics Circle and Naugatuck Patch. Nancy Sasso Janis portrayed Harriet Beecher Stowe. This episode also starred Olivia Wadsworth as Ava and Louisa May Alcott, Jandy Hanna as Evelyn and the narrator Alice Dare Crook, Robert C. Fullerton as Samuel Clemens, and featuring K.J. Johansson as Ginny Wiles, and the waitstaff at Nona Hanna's, Johansson appears courtesy of KBJB Internet Radio. This program also featured the voice of Conrad Sinkowitz as the announcer. Nutmeg Junction can be found online at www.nutmegjunction.com and can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoyed the program. If you have any question, comment, or suggestion, you are welcome to reach out to us at any of the aforementioned platforms or you may contact the station directly. Thank you for listening and may all your journeys lead you back to a happy home. Good night.